Hello and welcome to another episode of the Football History Boys podcast with me, Ben Jones, and as always, my good friend, Gareth Thomas. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Gareth. Okay, so uh, summer holidays have already started. How have you all started? Oh, it's been good. It's hot though, isn't it? It is very hot. It is a sweltering Cardiff at the moment. Well, I'm looking forward to the holidays. I'm looking forward to the show. I think we should crack on straight away today. Absolutely. Okay. So, this is our last show before the transfer window in Britain closes. So, what we're going to say today is we're going to have a bit of a look at the history of transfers. We'll talk about transfers through time. Let's go right the way back then. FA's been formed. Um, we're in the 1800s, mid-1800s to late-1800s. What, what was the situation? What did you do? If you wanted to move clubs as a player, or if a football team wanted to buy someone else, how would you do it? Well, let's hop into our football TARDIS again, as we uh, got out last week. Uh, so go right back then, so 1863, start of the FA, and for the first sort of uh, 20 years, football was played without any real uh, worries. It was a bit of a question of rules. But then in 1883, began this idea of professionalism came into the game, and this idea of money. And these working class teams were starting to play football, which was a threat to the, the upper class gentry of who of whom played the game before that. Yeah, really interesting. I, Richard Holt, um, a sports historian, said that actually the FA, when they start, set up in 1863, never meant to be professional. The, the game was always intended to be this um, amateur game. You worked hard in the week um, and then you played sport in your spare time. You never were a professional sportsman. And so this idea of professionalism was a really divisive idea at first, wasn't it? Yeah, as, uh, historian Jay Mangan uh, uh, brought about this idea of uh, muscular Christianity, of how... You became a, a better sportsman, but also a better Christian, a better person. And you did it through sport. So uh, footballers in these working class teams in, uh, in the north and factories were, were pretty good. And they started to enter, enter the FA Cup and they started to, to win the FA Cup. I think Blackburn Olympic were the first team to win. Yeah, of course. And Blackburn Rovers had won it, I think, oh, got to the final the year before. So factory owners who ran these teams, they'd often get in the best players by offering them these broken time payments or, first of all, offering them a job at their factory um, so the player would move to go and join this new factory, uh, which would help their factory team to win, do better. Um, but also there would be a, finance, a financial incentive involved as well. It's really interesting. It's where it comes from, I guess, like Sheffield Wednesdays, that their name comes from because they, their factory would be closed on a Wednesday for them to play football on I a Wednesday. I didn't know that. Yeah. So obviously there's United on Wednesday and the owner would give them Wednesdays off to play football. And that's why they were Sheffield Wednesday because they play on a Wednesday. So that's it. It would be a, oh, you're good at football. Do you want to come work in my factory? And there's a way of getting around the rules, wasn't it? Yeah, loophole, I guess. And it showed, it showed the power of the people in the end, didn't it, really? Because the working class people, as with those more often playing football, they had more power behind them. Eventually, professionalism takes over. The Football League uh, comes into effect. And the upper class teams, like the Wanderers and you know, Eton and things like this, they die out. They're not, they're not really seen much again in football history. So, yeah, it's a, it's a major step. And it was one of our 50 most important moments in his football history was the idea of professionalism and other sports like rugby then would later have these debates but it had a really major impact but in terms of transfers in 1889 uh, in Sport and Life newspaper they said about how transfers must be agreed upon by both clubs that was just, that was all it was it was just if you play wanted to go somewhere else two clubs decided on it agreed fine you can go uh, and what I did was I went a little bit further on so the Sheffield Independent in 1897 so sticking with a good Sheffield theme today, actually. Uh, I found an article 
uh, around the transfer of a player, Peter Meehan, who played for Celtic. He went to Everton for £150 at the time, which would have been today's money is £18,900. So quite well, a, that's a decent fee, isn't it? Yeah, quite a substantial amount for the time. Uh, two years later, though, there was a big crisis to do with transfers and the transfers of players because this whole idea of morality came out again. Uh, the Edinburgh Evening News had a big piece about the crisis that football was going under, about how this um, committee had been appointed by the FA uh, with regards to transfer fees and the immoral and unsportsmanlikeness of of selling a player so it was all they were saying it was the same as trafficking someone or slavery uh, yeah yeah or you know selling someone's flesh you know maybe a bit too far but um it says this happens with certain players they get paid a lot of money gets uh, spent on them and they decided that no transfer should exceed 10 pounds so two years before someone had been sold for 150 pounds so it's quite a big change to drop it all the way down to a to a tenner uh, which was only about just over a thousand pounds in today's money. So uh, later on, then the Derbyshire Courier had all these responses to this idea of this committee, and people weren't very happy. These other clubs weren't happy, and they actually reached a crisis point where the Football League considered seceding from the FA uh, because of transfers and because of these too many rules have been imposed on these football clubs. Uh, and what the Derbyshire Courier did say was the, the the clubs with the most money or the long purse, as they call it would be able to poach upon the best players and the competition of football would be gone, leading to smaller gate receipts. So they're saying that clubs with the most money are going to benefit massively. Um, and have all the best players. And As we see today. So Very interesting. 100 years ago, 120 years ago, they were predicting then what we what we see today. And I guess that coincides then really, with Billy Meredith. We talked about last week's one of Wales's greatest. 1907, he was standard for players, right? So I guess you've got clubs arguing for the right to transfer players along with Meredith then, who uh, formed the PFA um, for the players' rights, the union of players, to actually push forward and say players deserve more money. Um, but I think it's quite interesting because it shows that really, as much as people may not want to say it, football's always been about money. In a lot of circumstances, football's always touched upon this issue of money and how much should clubs spend and money. Does it influence the game in a negative way or anything? So there's always been this element of money. Yes, it's, no, it's nothing new. I mean, no. everyone seems to make out that oh, football's all about money these Against days. Against modern football. And... But it's always been the same way. There's it's there's always caused conflict and debate and it's always had uh, newspaper articles yeah. worrying about the future of the game. Moving on then, to, right the way forward to 1961. Two world wars in between. Transfer fees steadily increase. Not yeah. a lot happens in terms of major moments, but we start to see the increase of money and... And so forth, isn't it? But 1961, one of our most important moments in football history. If yeah. you want to check that out, you need to go to our website, which is www.thefootballhistoryboys.com. Check that out. Have a little search. The most 50 most important moments in football history. It was a series we did last year, wasn't it? And it was um, really popular. So it went down really well with people talking about some of those key moments. What what number moment was it for us, Ben? It's number 21. Number 21, 1961, Scrapple and the Maximum Wage. What do you know about it? Okay, so um, well, we looked at that didn't we, as one of those key moments. Um, I've put in my notes, it was very important. I think that's a bit of an underestimation, really. It was incredibly important. Jimmy Hill, um, who you may remember, some of you, um, was chairman of the FPFA at this point. So the Players Football Association, as we said, founded by Meredith in uh, 1907. Now we're in 1961. Jimmy Hill's the chairman. And um, historian Matthew Taylor, a sports historian, writes that there was real uh, fear of 
a strike in football. The mm-hmm. wages weren't increasing in line with what we see outside. We've talked about it on the last pod. Uh, 1950s were massive for football. Spectatorships increased massively. Um, obviously, footballers retire early and still did then as they do today. Um, but their, their pay didn't reflect that. No, they were paid only £8 a week in 1946. And by 1961, only the maximum was £20 a week for a player to earn, which... Which really wasn't a lot at all. Even in today's money. And so, understandably, footballers want to be paid more. Now the gates are huge, as we said. Lots of clubs set their maximum attendance, their highest ever attendances in this period, still standing today, lots of them. Thousands of fans are coming. The football clubs are making lots of money, but the players aren't being paid fairly for fair work. And with the early retirement age of about 35, probably an average, Mm. they're out of work. For then for the rest of their lives, maybe. So yeah. they need a higher wage. Yeah, and this is where you get stories of you know ex-footballers becoming carpenters or yeah solderers or whatever or else. John Charles, as we discussed two weeks ago, moving away to Italy to earn more money. Yeah. So, so there's this real fear that football's going to split again, like we talked about um, sort of 50, 60 years earlier. There's this fear that football's going to split. And so the Football League said, okay, we're going to concede. They concede to the PFA. To public opinion, as we said, public opinion backed the fact that there was a there should be the taking away of the maximum wage and the maximum wage goes. Now, this will slowly see um, and lead to what we see today of staggeringly high wages that footballers are earned. It didn't happen straight away. But obviously, as we today we talk about, mm-hmm. was it De Gea I was reading today, something like 375000 they want to offer him a week for his new contract. Insane. Of course, bail with China uh, lurking for him with maybe a million pounds a week that you can't even begin to comprehend as finance figures. Um Actually, this moment is really, really fundamental. Yeah. So we, I did, we did mention on the original piece. We said, why is it? Why was that moment so important? We said it was easy. Just look at the modern game. In the 1960s, the PFA's arguments they had credit and they had class, and it was a movement which was backed by the public and it uh, campaigned for the principles uh, and fair play. Whereas today, like you say, we've seen these other articles about three hundred thousand pound a week. The public do not back the footballers in any way, mm. probably rightly so, because of what they, they earn. So it just shows a, a big uh, big clash between the players of yesteryear and the players of today. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's forward, fast forward another sort of 17, 18 years. 1979 now uh, is an interesting one because we've got a little bit of a, an aside to it. So we're quite, talking about Trevor yeah. Francis, the yeah. first... One million pound player, as he's widely considered, but actually he's the first British one million pound player, isn't he? I didn't. I didn't realise this. No, I didn't. I thought I look it up because I wasn't too sure. I thought I'll, I'll type it into Google. Make sure. And we did find there was actually someone was worth a million pound more or before him. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, these Football Times, another brilliant website. Uh, check them out if you haven't before. They are. Um, they write about football history as well, and they they told told us or informed us about this guy Giuseppe Salvodi, an Italian yeah. man who actually was sold for uh, the equivalent of two. Well, he was the first. He wasn't just the first million pound player. He was the first two billion pound lira. Sorry, player. first two billion <laughs> lira player. Um, he was known as Mister Two Billion. What a was great it? nickname, that, yeah, Mister Two. Mister Two Billion. Um, and he moved an equivalent at the time in 1975. He moved from Bologna to Napoli for two billion lira, as we said, um, which was worth 1.2 million pounds. So there we go. He was the first million pound player. It surpassed Johan Cruyff's transfer from Barcelona to Ajax, which was just over 900 thousand in British money. Um, 
he becomes the first million pound player. But we'll talk about Trevor Francis because he's the one people know. He's we're talking about the British game and, yeah. and how fees have increased. So go on, Trevor Francis. Well, I, I was going to further what you said. I mean, I'm just I was surprised about about it because we've grown up thinking he was the first million pound player. And I went on some websites yesterday and I found out like. Maradona was sold around the same time for even more, for like 1.7 million. Yeah. So it's only something very big in the British game. It doesn't hold much yes, no, it resonance doesn't. in wider football. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Like, Clough didn't want to make him the first million pound player. Right, I was right, reading, yeah. um, he, he actually, he publicly was announced as a 999,999 pounds, you know, one pound short of a million to not put the pressure on him. However, when the fees have come through, he's moving from to Francis, moving from Birmingham to Nottingham Forest under Clough. Um, it actually worked out as about 1.2 million. So he is the first British. But as we said, actually, interestingly, not the first world million pound player. But a, but a good signing in the last one, the European Cup, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, season. brilliant signing. Yeah, brilliant signing. Okay. So, Another yeah. big moment then. Again, his fees are still increasing as we go through these decades. Um, perhaps the, one of the most biggest, and we've we've asked some of your opinions on uh, Twitter and Facebook this week. We've had two, three opinions uh, say in this moment. Ninety uh, fourth minute on Twitter, Nathan on Twitter, and Lewis Sticks on Facebook as well, saying this moment in nineteen ninety five was one of the biggest, massive impact on football in Europe. Gave the power to the players and the agents that we see today. Yeah. It is the moment, and we, we've got it as one of our top uh, moments, we said, in the 50 most important. Mm-hmm. It is Jean-Marc Bosman and his Bosman ruling in 1995. What happened, Ben? So, I, I, I find this quite difficult to comprehend. It's a lot of uh, financial mumbo-jumbo, and it seems to go over my head quite a bit. So... Gareth, can you can you enlighten me as to what happened? Yeah, I'm really interested in this Bosman. I wrote this bit for the article, and I think I've written about it in the past as well. I think it's it's a major major moment in football that gives us the the game that we see today. And it's, it's weird to think it only happened in 1995. You know, realistically, not that long ago. No. But effectively, the situation is your contract to a club. You're unhappy at that club, um, but you cannot move on at the end of your contract. You are owned by that club. And therefore, if your contract expires, a club still has to pay a transfer fee. You can't move on a free transfer. No. Uh, what Bosman says is this is wrong. I'm effectively a slave. And it's what we talked about. Again, the slavery of players. Um, I, I should be able to move. My contract's expired. And because he refuses to sign a new contract, his time with um, Liège in Belgium was coming to a close. And what they did instead, they cut his wages by 75% and said, you're going to sit here until a club pays for you. Dunkirk offers him a deal. I think we're only in the French League, League Deux, second league in French mm-hmm. in France. Um, French. They refuse it, absolutely refuse it, not interested. Um, but there's just this this legal battle that happens. So he takes to the European court. Um, and actually it really ruins his career. Quite sadly, it ruins his career. He no one wants to touch him during this time. I think he's a troublemaker, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think he's a troublemaker. It's going to obviously cause damage for a lot of clubs, so they want to take a chance on him. He goes to San Quentin and San Denis for a short period of time, but really it finishes his career. He doesn't do anything significant afterwards. But what the European Court decide is, yes, if your time comes to an end with a club, you are able to move on on a free transfer at the age um, of 24. After 24, you can move for a free. Before the age of 24, there's compensation that's paid to the club. 
Um, Is that still in place now? Yeah, still in place now. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of Ian Holloway at this moment just to tell you what Ian Holloway thinks. It's quite a famous rant, isn't it, of him at a press conference. This comes from um, during a time where Wayne Rooney was talking about leaving on a free. There was rumours he was leaving on a free. And Holloway's really not happy because he's saying Man United have invested so much into Rooney. How on earth is he allowed to leave on a free just because he's over the age of 24? Let me just play that little clip for us. The game is wrong. The people in charge of the game are wrong. And I'm not calling them names, I'm just telling them they're wrong. They are so wrong, this is frightening. If Alex Ferguson is being bullied by a player and his agent, or whatever how you want to call it, how wrong is the game? Yeah, And when are you going to listen to the people who are involved in the game? And football should look at itself. It's wrong. FIFA, UEFA, whoever you are, you're wrong. As you can hear there, Holloway, pretty angry pretty about cross. Yeah, pretty angry about the Bosman ruling. And it's understandable, obviously for clubs it's not it's not the best situation, is it, that a player can leave on a free. But ultimately I think it is a good thing. We see a lot of free chances. We'll talk about some of the best free chances of all time later in the show. Yeah. Well it has done, as you said in your article, uh it has seen the rise of the football agent since because uh obviously no fees, so yeah. the players could demand big signing on fees and the agent as well. Yeah, would demand quite a big fee as well. So. Yeah, of course. Obviously, people like Ramsey and Rabiot moved to Juventus this this summer for big fees um, yeah. in terms of their agent fee and and the signing on fee, but they don't have to pay anything to Arsenal and PSG. So yeah, I, I mean, it's had swings and roundabouts um, in that way in terms of how good it is. Yeah, there we are. Uh, so as we can see now, that football has just exploded and transfer fees have gone a bit out out the window. They've been, Obviously, the the latest, the biggest one at the moment is Neymar for two hundred twenty two million euros, hundred ninety eight million pounds. Pretty, it's it's amount you can't even begin to comprehend. Uh, it's staggering because, uh, literally, just a few years ago, you never would be able to comprehend that. No, I mean, I, I remember Zidane breaking the record in about two thousand and one for about forty six million to Real Madrid, and that was the record for quite a while. Because at the time, it was so much bigger than anything else that came before it until. Kaka, and then Ronaldo uh, a few months later broke it, didn't they? For I think about fifty six, and then mm, eighty mm. million. Obviously, then Bale steps up and he breaks it. But what I found most interesting, we got a list here of the fifty um, highest fees of all time, um, was that I remember when Torres signed for Chelsea from Liverpool for fifty million, and at the time it was one of the top, must be the top five, six signings ever. Mind blowing, yeah. And just what. When was that? 2011. So only eight years later. And now he's only the, the 43rd highest of all time. So the fees have completely That's just blown up. isn't it? The fact you see uh, Kyle Walker in the top 50 signings of all time for amounts is quite disturbing almost. He's not he's not good enough to be yeah. in the top 50. Harry yeah. Maguire, by the time we release this, could be an £80 million player. I mean... Just, just it is just staggering numbers, and it's only going to keep going that one way, isn't it? Um, you know, people say football's broken, whether or not it's broken, but the money that is involved in the game nowadays, you can't see that. There's never going to be a point where it comes down, is there? Because suddenly, Lewis Dunk is being talked about as a forty-five million pound player because yeah. Harry Maguire has gone for eighty million, and it's just, it's just staggering and, uh, numbers. Is it, you know, Joao Felix gone to Atletico Madrid this summer for uh, hundred and fourteen million. And I hadn't even heard of him until the very end of last season. He's had one good season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's staggering. And of course, if the gamble pays off for a football club, then brilliant. But the thing is, people are now saying, oh, Harry Maguire, oh, he's worth 80 million. It doesn't really matter anymore. 
because the fees don't really mean anything anymore. No, you know, it's just meaningless numbers. Of course. If he's going for that much money, it, it is meaningless. And I think so some silence before that set the precedent. Lukaku, 75 I think the, I think the problem is what it causes is lower down the pyramids. I think, um, you know, kind of as I said in the past, I'm a kind of fan, I think the fees that are being talked about for championship players now, even Kenneth Sahoy, who's just moved from Cardiff for £8 million to West Brom, um, £8 million back in the day in the championship, sort of even just 10 years ago, would have bought you a ridiculously good player. Kenneth Sahoy... I don't think he's worth £8 million. And I, I think the fees, it's going to start to trickle down the game, isn't it? And, and there's a fear for smaller clubs, clubs like Bolton and Bury, who are in trouble financially, over a couple of million pounds, where players in the, uh, the top echelons are being sold for far, far more. So there is a trickle-down effect in that way, isn't there? That's why you've got to credit uh, people like Jurgen Klopp for signing Andy Robson two years ago for £8 million. Because how much is he worth now? Yes. Yeah, and there's, there's still those bargains to be had. And again, we'll talk about them in later in the show so there you go you see the whole history there of the transfers there you've got the original idea of uh, the FA and the Football League always splitting over the idea of fees moving up to the maximum wage God, can you just imagine what those guys in 1863 would say about players moving for £200 million I don't know if I, I don't think they could comprehend well, it £200 million back then I probably could have bought you a country um but yes. what about the women's game? Because we haven't we haven't touched upon that, and absolutely you've um, you've done some research and you, you've asked some of our friends on Twitter to give you a bit of a hand with that. Um, obviously, the women's game is growing. That's a fantastic thing. The women's Premier League um, and all the different things that uh, that are happening with that. Um, mm. The fees, how do they compare to sort of the men's game? Well, I was quite frustrated yesterday on uh, Facebook, uh, on Facebook on Google. I was looking at women's uh, record transfer fees. And I just couldn't find anything. It was really difficult to find anything. Um, so, I, so I put something out on the Twitter and I said, uh, I think uh, Without Football Life is Boring is a really good uh, Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, what's the record fee? And they weren't even too sure because of all this, uh, because women's football is actually more like the men's game in the Victorian times. It's, Financially. Uh, but the way the contracts work. Yes, so sorry. Okay. Yes. Players will sign for a club and they'll basically run out their contracts and at the end of it, they're just free to join a new club. And then a new club will say, come and join join us. Like Nikita Paris this summer has left Man City. So she's just left. And then she's gone and signed um, for Leon. So no fees involved. Just you enter a contract, then you sign. So it's a bit like how the men's game used to be. Financially, it is similar as well. Obviously, a bit higher fees than it was back then. Yeah. I did find Frank Kirby uh, moved from Reading to Chelsea in 2015 for a reporter's £50,000. So it does happen sometimes that women's uh, footballers move during their contract. But what I then looked at was a bit further and it said that in 2018, women's football clubs around the world spent a total of £375,000 on international transfers. Uh, if you want to get some contrast, the men's game with... Uh, <laughs> They totaled at five point four billion pounds. <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking complete yin and yang, just two complete different games. Um, and it, FIFA said the report helped to reflect the reality of women's football finances. So, there you go. Women's football is not about the money at all, is it? Really, it's just about getting the best players and, and just doing. Yeah, see, I, I thought it was really interesting. John Carrier replied to us on Twitter as well, tennis. Um, about an incident in 1972. So Alan Ball transferred from Everton to Arsenal in the men's game for 300,000. Um, and then outside left, Laura Sullivan uh, transferred from Watford Ladies um, for 50p. Oh, 
for 50p. And wow. Laura was 18 at the time. She said um, in, in a newspaper afterwards, I'm just as good a value as Allen, as Allen is to Arsenal. So she's saying, I'm, I'm worth uh, the same. You know, they, Arsenal got a good deal with Alan Ball. I'm worth that as well. Um, but it's staggering, isn't it? Even back then, 50p. 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 Crazy. Anyway, I've enjoyed that chat. That's been really um, useful. Yeah. What we're going to do, have a little break, and then we'll talk about our top three transfers of all time and our worst three transfers. And then we'll do a quiz. Of all time. And then we'll have a little quiz. Lovely. Let's have a quiz. Okay, we've had a nice cold drink because it's such a warm day. Uh, but what we thought would be quite interesting to do, uh, as we said, this our last show before the window closes. Let's talk about our top three transfers ever. And then we'll do our worst three. We'll start with our top three. And what we said, because uh, we'll try and narrow it down as there's been so many transfers through time. We'll have yeah. one historical, one free, and one who's lived up to a big transfer fee, okay? Yeah. You kick off. Let's start with our free transfers. Who is your free transfer? Okay. Uh, my free transfer comes from 2002, and it is from PSG to Bolton, and it was JJ Akocha. Oh, what a transfer. Because Bolton at the time just came up to Premier League, and they were a bit, you know, it was a bit, I remember when they came up, we were, I remember as a kid thinking, who, who are these? Um, I remember Sam Allardyce signing JJ Akocha, then later on going to sign um, Mario Jardel and Fernando Hierro and all these sort of great players from the earlier 90s. But I thought Akocha, yeah, he, he went there, made a massive impact and is still a Premier League legend. He was superb. He was so likeable, wasn't he, JJ Akocha? Yeah, just for the way he played. Yeah. And yeah, the smile on his face, reminiscent to Ronaldinho yeah, down the line. Absolutely, I was going to say um, that. Yeah. And he was in that amazing uh, Nigerian team, which did so well at the yeah, Nigerian. I think game. I always used to try and sign him on the old um, football managers, the old FIFA, because he was just so likable. I wanted him in my team. Yeah, so, so skillful. Yeah. Right. Well, who was, who was your best three transfer? Then, Top yeah? three is, is potentially a controversial one for some listeners. Um, but for me, it was Sol Campbell oh. from Spurs to Arsenal. It caused a massive upset. And I think it I did. like it just because it's from a rival to a rival, um, a direct rival transfer, obviously. Free transfer, using that Bosman ruling that we talked about just six years after the Bosman ruling mm-hmm. came into effect. Um, not only did it cause massive upset, but actually, Sol Campbell went on to be an Arsenal great, didn't he? Of course. Oh, he absolutely, won yeah. Two Premier Leagues, um, part of the Invincibles, won two FA Cups, and also was a Champions League runner-up as well. But he was superb at Arsenal. I mean, I really remember him in 2001, so I really remember him at, at Arsenal. But it, it you know, causes huge, huge divide still. People are split on Sol Campbell. You talk to a Spurs fan about him, they're not happy. But I think Sol Campbell, what a free transfer that was. Uh, I actually put a tweet out earlier asking for our listeners best free transfers okay. and more than the game 66 who I mentioned on last week's podcast uh, he's replied today saying his best free transfer has got to be Super Soul from Spurs so he goes said agree. he still has as many titles as they have won in their lifetime <laughs> and they signed him twice on a free they did didn't they they signed him back yes, again of course, yeah, older. Yeah. Uh, and talking of JJ Okocha actually there was uh, follow the trawler on um, which is also another podcast, so they replied to us on Twitter. They said a few came straight to their mind: Pirlo going from uh, AC Milan to Juventus, Steve McManaman going from Liverpool to Real Madrid, and that was one of the first uh, major Bosmans I remember at the time. Yeah, um, and Sol Campbell's right up there. But for him, purely for the joy he brought to those who loved watching him play, 
it was Bolton getting JJ Kotcher. Good. So there we go. There we go. We're both right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do then your player that's lived up to the big fee. Okay, so there's been a lot of big fees. We've talked about that earlier in the show. Who is your player that lived up to his big fee? Okay, my big player lived up to the fee was Alan Shearer. When he went from Blackburn to Newcastle for £15 million back in 1996. Because he won the league in 1995 for Blackburn. He was one of the, the best strikers in the world. He moved for a world record fee of £15 million at the time. Um, Newcastle beating Manchester United to his sign-in. And I imagine a few eyebrows would have been raised with you know him being the most expensive player ever. But, yeah, you can't really deny it. He got over 200 goals for Newcastle, broke their goal-scoring record. He's an absolute legend, isn't he, a bunch of Newcastle fans. And I think absolutely his, his Premier League goal record, it, I, it'd be very surprising to see it ever beaten. Well, I tell so you, like, it, was, it was beaten on my football manager in the year 2036. <laughs> That's how long it takes. So maybe it'll be that long before you see it broken uh, by a Russian called Valery Shmurnov. <laughs> Um, he, he, of ice. he he beat the chance he beat the record uh, but it took him a long time it took like 10 seasons to do it and, and you know absolutely I think it's going to be a long time for the people yeah good answer what mine was I was yours? torn I was torn between two here um, one very recent uh, and one a few years back and I'm going to cheat and have both so uh, firstly Van Dyke, Southampton to Liverpool £75 million pounds. obviously you're a yeah. Liverpool fan I'm sure you're a big big fan of Virgil van Dyke. Yeah. I think just because yeah, in January 2018, when it happened, people mocked the £75 million fee. How on earth can you pay that much? I remember seeing on Twitter a Man United fan saying, um, you'd be mugged off for a poor man's Chris Morland. <laughs> and yeah, there you go. But what he's done is sort out a problem area, isn't it? Liverpool's problem area was defence. They were shocking. They made so many errors. And I'm sure I don't want to and make I, you reminisce on that. He's favourite for the Ballon d'Or, no? Yeah, superb. Um, he's been superb. And obviously, this last season... Um, Sadly, didn't win the league for Liverpool fans, but the fourth highest ever Premier League points total, um, and also won the Champions League. Um, so I think he's paid off a chunk of his big fee. My other one was going to be Wayne Rooney. Uh, I was torn between the two. Rooney obviously moved for about twenty six million um, back in two thousand and four. Was it two thousand four? He would have been a teenager. Yeah, well. teenager, about eighteen. Uh, moved to Man United, and, and I mean, who can deny him? He's uh, Man United's top ever goal scorer. He's England's top goal scorer. Um, is a gamble paying yeah. 26 million 18 year old and actually turned out to be a phenomenal signing. Did incredible. So. I mean, even as Liverpool fan, I've got to say, he, what a player he was for United. His goals, again, he's going to struggle for people actually to get anywhere near him for Man United, really. Um, I think they take someone like Wayne Rooney back for this next season. There they? we are. Absolutely. Okay, go on then. Your historical transfer. Right, I've just looked down at your lap <laughs> where the uh, where your sheet is with all your research and I've noticed that we have the same the same one. That's fine, it's a minor. Uh, Alfredo Di Stefano from Millonaros to Real Madrid back in the 1950s. I, I looked up the fee for this. Um, I, I translated using the Bank of England inflation calculator. Oh, um, so it was estimated to be around about £195,000. Four million pesos, I think it was, but £195,000. Today that would be worth about £5.3 million. So not very much, Di Stefano. In today's money. In today's money. But... Um, I wouldn't say relative and loan. He was doing very well in Argentina and Colombia, but it was a gamble nonetheless for Real Madrid to take him on. But at the time, it was, it was controversial, wasn't it? Because he was yeah. either going to go to Barcelona or Real Madrid. Well, there was a big, yeah, big transfer saga over it, and they actually ended up deciding that he'd play. Was it two seasons for Real Madrid and then two seasons for Barcelona? Yeah, that was that was uh, the 
La Liga or you know the, the Federation's decision at the time, wasn't it? Which seems a bit of a crazy decision. Okay, you can b- both have him share him two seasons. Share, each. share the play, but then and then Barcelona thought, you know what, this is more hassle than it's worth. Yeah. We're pulling out of the deal. Yeah, and then you know there you go. Di Stefano became probably one of Real Madrid's greatest ever players. Yeah, and there's a lot of talk actually that the government got involved, wasn't there? And Franco and people saying actually there was pressure saying Barcelona need to pull out of it and whatever they did. But yeah, three hundred um. 396 times he played for the middle competitions for Real Madrid, 308 goals, staggering. He won eight league titles, a Copa del Rey, an Intercontinental Cup, and of course, most importantly, five European Cups. Just the five. Just the five. And okay. there's that famous picture, isn't he, where he's sitting there with all five in front of him. Oh, yeah. Staggering. Um, what a signing. There we go. We matched on that. I, I, agree. I quite like that. Yeah, I agree. Let's hear some of your views. Then we ask for some of your best before we move on to worst. Um, Chris Malone on Twitter says, Ozzy RD, listen, uh, Ricky Villa signing for uh, for Tottenham, for Spurs in 1978, changed English transfer market forever. We had um, Alan Shearer, Paul Warnock said, Alan Shearer agrees with you on that way. Yeah. Um, outside right again, big fans of ours and we're big fans of them on Twitter said, Cantona to Man United, very fair, perhaps. Um, Vieira, nice one here from Nathan. Vieira, £3 million and yet he dominated... Um, Football for Arsenal for 15 years. Absolutely great yeah. shout. Lewis Williams said, Rubinho to Manchester City, because that was sort of that trigger for him of um, Man City starting to get the big plays. It was. Yeah. It was that, I remember it was it was a, a huge sign. It was when... He didn't do great, did he? He did okay. Yeah. But at the time when he signed, it was like, oh my word, they're signing Rubinho. It was the same day as Berbatov, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was deadline day. What a deadline day that was. That was when deadline days were That's amazing. when they were good, yeah. Yeah. And also... Um, Lewis says, well, he's a Cardiff fan, said uh, Bellamy on loan to Cardiff, which is a good point. Was it? Bellamy was a Premier League footballer, fell out with uh, the management at Man, United, uh, sorry, Man City and ended up signing for Cardiff on a loan transfer. He was superb for us. He was so good that season. There'll be a little discussion in me about when, when Cardiff City decided to do a bit of a Bolton and sign all these players who were great a few years before. So yeah, Fowler, in the same season. Hasselbank, Sinclair, all joined in around the same time. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Hasselbank was superb. Fowler <laughs> uh, injured a little bit, but it was, it was great having him. Um, and yeah, again, Trevor Sinclair, he was superb for us. Still a big Cardiff fan as well. Trev, he always tweets about Best bicycle kick ever as well. Yeah, superb. Okay, well, let's talk about your worst transfers of all time then. We may match on some of these. I suspect we may well do. So we haven't set parameters for this. Just what's your top three worst? Okay, my worst, well, one of my top three worst is Alex Teixeira from Shakhtar Donetsk to Zhuangzhou for around £40 million uh, a few years ago. That's one of my worst. Purely because Teixeira, at the time, was at the peak of his powers. He was a really good player. He'd been dominant in the Champions League. He was linked with all these big clubs all around Europe. And then he decided, you know what? I don't want to go there. I'm going to China instead. Uh, when it just showed the money in football is having a major impact. And yeah. obviously China trying to improve their league, but they but these players are the peak of their powers moving over there, pr- pr- pretty much ending. It scares you a little bit about like Bale, doesn't it? Gareth Bale obviously linked very, very heavily with China and perhaps again by the time we release this, he may well have made that move. Um, I could have gone for Oscar as well. Yeah, there's a few, there's been a few stinkers. In I mean, I, it's not as bad if you're someone like, uh, I think when Ramirez went, or Tevez, sort of towards the end of their careers, but, mm. uh, you know, when you're 27 and you're going over there, you're, you're yeah, yeah. Uh, right, that was one of my worst. What was your first worst one? 
Interesting. Well, I, I've gone for Andy Carroll. I think it's lambasted and it's yeah. always going to be. Um, deadline day 2011 is to replace Torres for 50 million. I've not included that Torres one. I'll chat about that in a second. Why? Um, but uh, Andy Carroll, 35 million pounds. Again, I put in the inflation calculator about 42 million it's worth today. every penny. <laughs> Terrible. So his Newcastle record, Newcastle. Premier League record, 30 goals in 80 games. Not bad. His Liverpool record, six goals in 44 games. Is that the league? League record, yeah, Premier League record. He's, he's scored a couple of big goals. He's scored the yeah. FA Cup per final, didn't he? But not worth 35 million. Not a good transfer. No, that was a panic buy. Yeah. They got Suarez on the same day, though. So, oh, yeah. I mean, know. yeah. Swings around. Right? Which is injured all the time. That's the problem. If he, was, if he wasn't injured all the time, he got such great potential, Andy Carroll, but yeah, yeah. terrible, terrible signing. Free agent now as well. Good free agent for perhaps uh, Cardiff City. <laughs> We're linked link with him. all back to Cam City. We are linked with him. Anyway, uh, my second then. I'm going to go again, link with Liverpool. Um, Philippe Coutinho. Uh, controversial again, perhaps. But I, I really think I think he's just... Uh, £142 million. Pounds. Copper, copper scored in the Copper Zero final. I know he did, but £142 million, pounds, January 2018. Um, I, think, st- I don't think he's done that bad. I think it's more because of the fee. He has not worth, he's not worth... Exactly. It. And that's why I'm saying he's not lived up to the fee. I guess contrasting to players who have lived up, I think he really hasn't. The stunning record Liverpool, obviously the main man that cut inside and curl it into the top corner. Stunning. We loved him in the Premier League. Everyone, even other clubs, loved Coutinho. Um, yeah. But he, I mean, he's been booed, isn't he? I, I know Spanish fans do do that, but he's been booed. The fans want him out. He scored 13 goals in 51, which is not horrendous. But I just think for the hype and the money and the fact that he was linked for so long, he's looked so unhappy at times when I've seen him. Yeah. He's looked. He just doesn't want to be there. Like a fish out of water. Yeah. Um, so I think I think for 142 million, Barca <laughs> would if they could go back in time, they would never go with that. That's what I think. And uh, Coleman had a dream on Twitter. They they yes. said that one of their worst transfers ever is Coutinho. Uh, they thought he's, he's, a, he's a great player, but they remember thinking there's just no value in football anymore. Yeah. If you'll go, if he's going for that much money, then yeah. yeah. And his record probably proves that he, he's not worth it. Fair play. Okay, your second. Uh, Adrian Mutu <laughs> from Parma to Chelsea. Now, Chelsea made a lot of signings around this time, around 2003 four. Um, They, I remember them getting Drogba on the same time, maybe the season after, Kesman as well. And Mutu, who was one of Europe's best strikers, he'd been amazing in Serie A for Parma. Yeah. And he went for 15.8 million to, to Chelsea and he didn't do very well at all. He didn't score many goals. I think he got six goals and then he got banned for taking cocaine. So, and you know... He owed them, didn't he? That's based on like £7 million compensation to Chelsea. I think it was decided by a court. Yeah, it was just a complete, complete mess. A catastrophe. Um, but it just showed... How these great players, if they get too much too soon, they can just it just ruins their career. So I think Mutu, what promise he had, and how little he delivered, and I think he's been forgotten a bit. So I thought I'll mention it on the podcast yeah. to get him in there. Right, I've got another Chelsea one. one. My final one. My it's another Chelsea oh, one. Sorry, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, Andrei Shevchenko, Milan to Chelsea, thirty million pounds. Again, I put it into the inflation calculator, forty-two point six million today. Um, in the summer of two thousand and six, just because. Um, the fee was big back then. Thirty million was a big fee, um, but he was massive, wasn't he? He had scored yeah, one hundred and seventy-three goals for AC Milan. He had surpassed twenty-five goals in six of eight seasons at the San Siro. He'd won the Ballon d'Or in two thousand and four. He was tipped as this um, superb. Well, everyone could see he was a phenomenal footballer. He moves to Chelsea, big big signing, yeah. and, and his record for Chelsea in the Premier League: nine goals in forty-eight games. He's there for two and a half years. He goes back out on loan and then he moves to Dynamo Kiev. He goes back to loan on loan to Milan. 
and then moves on permanently. But what just a, a terrible mess. Ball. Just oh. a mess. I mean, I remember him scoring on his debut against Liverpool in the Community Shield final, and I thought, oh, here we go. He's going to be amazing. But I, that is that that's often forgotten as well. I think it's been taken over the Torres uh, to Chelsea and the Andy Carroll's Liverpool and these uh, these transfers afterwards. Oh, he's terrible. But Shevchenko was uh, was horrendous. That's not Chelsea's fault. He was only a good player, but he just didn't he just didn't deliver for them. What's your final one? Uh, my final one is Paul Konchesky from Fulham to Liverpool in two thousand and ten, purely because we just had Benitez at Liverpool and he'd made a couple of duff signs, but he made you know. He signed Garcia, Alonso, Mastroano, great buys. And then Roy Hodgson comes in and he signs Christian Paulson, was one of the signings, and then Paul Koncheski. And it just set the tone for the next few years at Liverpool. If we're signing Paul Koncheski to be starting on our team, we're not setting our standards very high. <laughs> and then, as you see, a couple of years, then you got Andy Carroll coming in, Stuart Downing, you know, all these players, and they're just not very good. Yeah. But Koncheski was. Absolutely dreadful. Yeah, so but he just wasn't a Liverpool player. Um, just, just terrible. A couple of other notable mentions. <laughs> Remember Jonathan Woodgate signing for Real Madrid, own goal <laughs> and a red card on his debut, and then injury plague. Sadly, injury. Um, oh. His body gave up on him. But the, the worst debut of all time. Probably. Oh, horrendous. And um, I didn't include Torres because I think actually I know it was a big fear and I, that famous miss against um, Man United. But he did. He scored a Champions League, a couple of important goals. Um, Barcelona, yeah. Yeah, 40-odd goals in the Premier League. So I think he didn't do as bad as some people think. But Marata, He didn't do great. Morata's another yeah. terrible Chelsea signing. I thought he was a good signing at the time. Yeah. I tipped it as a really good signing. Got a feeling but... Fred to Man United this season. That's yeah. pretty poor. Obviously, Pogba, we don't know where that will happen. Maybe he'll have a phenomenal season to turn around. But as it stands, it looks like a bit of a waste of money. A couple of other positive ones. I forgot to mention... Ronaldo, fair play to Man United. Ronaldo signed him from Sporting, sold him for a huge amount. Of, obviously, did very well at Man United and sold him for a huge amount of money as well. Likewise, I'd say for Real Madrid, eighty million is probably cheap in the end because yeah. of how well he did there. He yeah. got more goals and games. Yeah. So I mean, he, he was worth. I know more. we bashed Chelsea, but um, Drogba, twenty-four million. I mean, what a player he was as well. Actually, he was someone who lived up to his. Yeah. Feet. Started off a bit iffy, didn't he? I remember. Yeah. And I think his second season, he was, he was fantastic. There we go. Lovely. Good chat, that. Is it time for a quiz? It is time for a quiz. Uh, <laughs> right, last week we started a new quiz. Did one in the first week, but realised it was from nine years ago, so some of the questions were dated. So this is from the 40 awesome football quiz questions. I think they did quite well last week. Didn't do too bad. You did okay. Yeah. You said Avram Grant over <laughs> 70, and he was actually 53 at the time. But I did get the M23 derby. You did. That's quite impressive, yeah. actually. Um, right, so first of all, Last week, we set a question for the listeners, which was Billy Wright, the first footballer in the world to earn 100 international caps, spent his whole career at which football club? And we did have an answer on our Twitter. I'll just find it now. It was from Ring Cafe, which is their name on Twitter, S. Villarino. And they correctly told us the answer was Wolverhampton Wanderers. Well done to them. There you go. Well done. Thank you very much. So, here's your question today. Here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Three teams have sat at the top of the Premier League only to be relegated in the same season. Can you name them? That is superb. I'm not going to give you a timer. I'm going to give you... I'm just going to... We're going to talk through it. Okay. So, at some point, they've been top of the Premier League and then ended up being relegated. In the same season. And we're not talking about alphabetical. Uh, No. Okay. Just in the same season. This is an incredible question. Who would have thought this? Wow. I like this. Okay. 
let's go with Blackpool. Okay. Because I think they may have started quite strongly initially, and then they did start strongly. Yeah. Then suddenly, you know, as I think they were regular on the last day, weren't they? So I, I really don't know for this, but I'll go Blackpool. Um, I'm going to go with who else started the season strongly? I mean, Cardiff did. We beat Manchester City in our first time up. I think you would know at Cardiff for top, though, wouldn't you? No, I don't think we ever were top. So I'll go with Blackpool, and then I'm going to go with oh uh, Sunderland. As okay. a guess, Good and then I'm going to go with a final guess of maybe one of Newcastle United's relegation seasons. Newcastle, okay. yeah, fair enough. right. So all incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got Charlton, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, Bolton, two thousand eleven, twelve, and Hull City, two thousand sixteen, seventeen. Well, there you all go. All the top of the league. Maybe some of our at one stage. Okay, dokey do. Right, the <laughs> next question. Uh, four Manchester United players have won European Footballer of the Year award. Can you name them? George Best. Okay. Oh, I'll set a timer. Actually, there you go. Set. Okay. I'm go with George Best. I'm going to go with Wayne Rooney. Okay. I go with Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay. And Eric Cantona. Ooh, did it in the timer there. Right. So the answers. Okay, Cristiano Ronaldo, correct, 2008. George Best, you said him yet? Yeah. Correct, 1968. Bobby Charlton, ah. 1966. And Dennis Law, 1964. Man United, very good in the 60s. Okay, right, next one. What was introduced for the first time by trainer David Coleman in the 1920s at Petodre Stadium, Aberdeen? Time starts now. Good question. 1920s. Was introduced for the first time. Could it be warm-ups? Could be warm-ups, you know, as they start to think about how can we get our players ready. Um, my timer. I'll go with that. Warm-ups. So warm-ups for players. Okay, the answer is dugouts. Oh. The first stadium to have dugouts, and also in 1978, Petodre became the... Uh, second all-seated stadium in Great Britain. Brilliant. Second, not not really worth no. worth that fact. <laughs> okay, next one we have. Right here we go. You'll get this one maybe. Ryan Giggs is the Wales football manager. If you didn't know, uh, but in which sport was his father Danny Wilson a Welsh international? Okay, time is going. I I just had I just thought hockey, but it, was it rugby? It may well have been rugby. I think, I tell you what, I'm going to go with, just because we're Welsh. Okay. I'm torn between hockey and rugby. I'm going to go with uh, rugby. It, it is rugby. Can you tell me which code of rugby it is? Rugby league. It is rugby league. Yeah. Well done. Good. Yeah. Got that one right. Okay, no. Right. England first entered the Football World Cup in 1950. How many tournaments have they failed to qualify for since? How many World Cup tournaments that is? Okay. I don't think it's that many. I think they've been to the majority. I think at maximum it's going to be three. Okay. I'm going to go with, but I, I, I believe in you a bit more, England. As much as I don't want to, I'm going to say two. I think they've not been to two. Okay, do, I, do you know the years? I think one of the ones potentially they did not make was in the 70s okay uh, I'm, 
were they at 70? I did they fa- I feel like because oh, obviously they won it in 66 no they would have been there they were at 70 yeah, yeah. I go 78 okay and the Euros they failed to qualify in the 2000s wasn't it um, yeah let's go 78 and 6 78 and 58 okay uh, 3 so they haven't qualified for 3 74 West Germany oh, they were 78 there. Argentina and 94 the USA so there you go Three tournaments they haven't qualified for. That's why a lot of Surprised. people probably in the UK don't like uh, 94, isn't it? Because we talked about that on Twitter the other day, 94, and a lot of people were very negative about it. Ireland qualified, didn't they? But yeah. no one else, no no British teams qualified. Maybe. Right, okay, question for the listeners then. Let's go for this one here. I like this question because I know the answer already. Uh, what's different about the recently launched limited edition Sabutio table set featuring Arsenal and Chelsea teams? So, read it again. What's different about the recently launched limited edition Sabutio table football set featuring Arsenal and Chelsea teams? Any ideas? Yeah, I think so. But I'll leave it open. Tell me off air. I will. Okay, if you have the answer to the question, uh, you can tweet it to us at TFHBS. And also, you can get in touch on Facebook. Uh, Look us up, the Football History Boys. Give us a like. Give us a uh, mention. And also, give us an email too. Our email address is... The football history boys at hotmail.com or as you said last week <laughs> give us a text if you know us personally yes there we are brilliant okay so we're going to move on then okay let's have another break and then we'll come back with our final topic for the day We've asked you this week to ask us some questions what are our thoughts on different things get to know us a bit better uh, we've had some good questions the first one from Stephen Brandt, who's very good uh, to us. He's given us lots of likes and retweets in the past. Yeah. Um, he asks us, what is the best league match? Interesting, he just specifies league. Best league match that you've ever seen? Okay, I imagine that is football league match. Um, I've chosen first. I've gone... Well, I've, I was torn. Because obviously being a Liverpool fan, first matches that came to my head were Liverpool matches because they're the ones I've invested most time in. But I've gone for something different... And I've gone for Real Madrid 3, Barcelona 4 in 2014 uh, at the Bird It was an incredible match. I remember watching it um, at my friend's house at university. Um, Messi hat-trick, two penalties for, for Barcelona. A red card for guess who? Ramos. Yeah, <laughs> Sergio Ramos red card. And it's been end-to-end, unbelievable drama, feisty, but just really high-quality match in 4-3. It was just... I remember just being on the edge of my seat the whole game um, and just showed Messi being the man yet again. So that was my one. I also had personal choice. Um, Manchester United 1, Liverpool 4 at Old Trafford. Oh, I remember that. 2009. Dossena. Yeah, that exactly. I remember <laughs> Liverpool were about seven points off in the title race and they went to Old Trafford needing to win and everyone thought it would be really close. And they went behind uh, quite early on to Ronaldo penalty. And then all of a sudden just came back. Torres just destroying Vidic. And Vidic can never play well against Liverpool again. I think three red cards since showed that. Um, but yeah, 4-1. Ultimately, my United won the league. But it was a great game. And Dossena lobbing van der Sar in the last kick of the game. And Gerard kissed the camera, didn't you? Remember that, that famous celebration? Yeah, he did. He yeah. did it a few times afterwards as well. Yeah. So that was that one. Um, okay, what, what mine. Was, what was your game? I've gone, I've split into two, I've been a bit greedy again. I've gone for um, best game I've seen in the stadium, best game I've seen on TV. 
Best game I've seen in the stadium, you called it earlier. Um, Cardiff City 3, Manchester City 2. It was our first home game in the Premier League. My first experience of the Premier League as a Cardiff fan in August 2013. Man City were the defending champions. Obviously, vast amounts of money spent. Expectations were high and low for Cardiff. Um, and we beat them. Fraser Campbell scored twice. Aaron yeah. Gunnison scored. Um, what a brilliant game. That that was just, I I was just like, oh my word, this is amazing. That was huge. I yeah. remember everyone on Facebook and Twitter at the time just going off. Everyone that we knew, obviously, yeah. from school and stuff. It was incredible. People certainly pretend they were Cardiff fans. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, also, I, I snuck in another <laughs> Cardiff one. My favourite is, he said league match, but I'm just going to sneak in uh, the Carling Cup final. Cardiff losing to Liverpool on penalties. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. I'm sure you did. <laughs> it was devastating for me. But 1-1 uh, in a normal time. Again, Cardiff Championship side against um, Liverpool. Not fancied at all, but 1-1 in normal time. Well, Liverpool weren't fancied at all. Well, I'm going to stew it down this time. 2-2 <laughs> after um, extra time. Ben Turner scored a late goal to equalise it in front of the Cardiff fans. Going mental, absolutely crazy. Were you there? Yeah, I was there. Oh. Yeah, actually just behind the goal where he scored. Um, and then we lost on pens. Um, Anthony Gerrard. Uh, That's one of the worst penalty shootouts ever. Yeah. They were some dreadful penalties. There was, I think. Charlie Adams, ball still... Rising, I think. Yeah, it? terrible. Uh, but yeah, Kenny Dalglish obviously winning uh, a cup again with Liverpool. He's a manager, by the way. Um, and also, then my TV one is, uh, I think, probably a lot of people's favourite game for so in a club not involved um, with Cardiff. Um, Manchester City's title win against QPR on the last day of the season. Again, yeah. we were in university for that. I was watching it um, around some friends' house. Um, all of them were Man United fans, apart from me and an Everton fan, <laughs> um, cheering on Man City. And I just, oh, the Aguero moment, that commentary uh, when it hit the back of the net and just hugging him in the middle of the room, dancing around with the devastated Man United fans around me was, honestly, I will never forget it. What a moment that well, was. I can, I can remember celebrating that. I mean, I wouldn't celebrate now for Man City, but back then, I think just because Man United lost it more. Was was quite a nice thing to happen. Oh, it was sensational! Just what a moment! I just, I will never forget. I still sort of get goosebumps if I ever watch that video on YouTube or anything. What yeah. a moment that yeah, was! Amazing, brilliant, great question, Stephen. Um, okay, another question from um, sort of a big fan of ours again. He's written for us in the past, Tim Hartley. He says, effectively, I'll shorten it. Do you think the European Super League has been rumoured? Uh, leaks about it, different things like that. Do you think it'll save football? Now uh, he asked it from a context of. Not a big club fan. He doesn't support the big clubs. Um, He's a big fan of uh, Welsh football as well. Yeah, he? yeah, yeah, big fan of Welsh football. And and he says, do you think it's going to save football? And we had a bit of a conversation off air about this. And um, I see where he's coming from. I think if we let Juventus and PSG and Barcelona and whoever goes for the Premier League, should it happen, you know, Man City, Man United, whoever, if it happens, um, people will say it will rip the Premier League apart. I think it would be a real shame. I think it would be a terrible shame if it happens. Yeah. But I understand where he's coming from. If we let the money go and they play each week in Doha and then Vietnam and then Dubai and in Brazil, wherever they're going to play these games, um, and everyone who wants to watch it can watch it and they can pay their subscription to whatever TV channel gets it and there'll be billions of pounds of prize money and their places will be guaranteed. Mm. Yes, it'll be really devastating for the domestic leagues. Is it the end of the world? I don't think it is at all. And he says, will it save football? Because will it give, give football back to those who weren't? Yeah. Well, I was quite confused at first, but I, I messaged you on Facebook saying, do, do you know what it means? Because I've always thought of it in a negative light. Yeah. We, I would have thought the question would be, will a European Super League ruin football? football? But then, by safe football, made us actually think. And after you explained it all to me, and you gave me this a massive essay, yeah, didn't you? Sorry, on, I did. On, I did on a big that uh, it really made it clear to me. And I, yeah, I, 
I quite agree, actually. Yeah, I think I think it's football's different for different people. And as I said when I was talking to you, there's lots of people who enjoy football from a purely uh, watching from afar, watching on TV. I saw someone saying they're a better Arsenal fan than all the people who live in London because they wake up at four a.m. to watch the games in in Canada. I disagree. Go and watch. Uh, you can enjoy Arsenal, of course you can, but go and watch some local football. For me, who loves football in a stadium, um, who one day will take his kids to watch Cardiff City play, who um, absolutely adores everything about the atmosphere of going to a live football match, that's more important than watching things on TV. So yes, of course I'll watch it. I love football. I lo- I'd like to see those big clubs compete. I think it would be really bad for the Premier League, but I think we'll exist. We'll be fine without it. Say those top six go, and I don't think the top six would go, but say top six go, we'll have a brilliant race, except it'll be Wolves who top the league instead of... Yeah, I think I think now I'm hearing it again, it's a good idea uh, in order it wouldn't maybe save these lower clubs yeah. and make football a bit purer again. Yes. But thinking about what we talked about earlier about the history of transfers, Yeah. Uh, foot, money's always in, in the yeah. game. And I think if, even if these bigger clubs leave, the money will still be there and they'll still be the best teams yeah, getting, of course, of which course. have bigger budgets yeah. compared to the lower teams and it might just be Wolves being the dominant team for Yeah, well, exactly. We talked about years. that and me and Lewis earlier talked about that and we were saying, actually, yeah, they, there is a good chance that that would happen. Actually, you would just get another big domination of a club. Those and I saw someone who um, went forward 100 years in time on Football Manager, simulated 100 years to look at who sort of won the league and who dominated. And throughout that 100-year period, different clubs... Rose and four, and I've talked about my football manager love. And um, mm-hmm. on on that, Liverpool have been relegated by twenty thirty six. They've come back <laughs> up. Everton have been relegated. Sunderland have fallen down to the conference. Birmingham have fallen down to the conference and come back up. It happens in football. There swings around yeah. and of course Juventus dominate. Of course Man City dominate. Of course PSG dominate. Um, and what I think people don't want is that to be that twenty years. I think time. it's more financial fair play needs to be a bit stricter. Yeah, Sim- simply. I think there probably should be budgets on transfers uh, and how much you can spend. Because I think it is out of control at the moment. But I did do a bit of research on it myself. Yeah. Um, the European Super League. So I found that in February 2019, I read an article um, and UEFA put to bed talks of the breakaway European Super League by announcing new legislation that it would protect domestic top tiers until 2024. But that for me doesn't put it to bed. It just means 2024. No, because it reopens yeah. again. Clubs like Juventus have already said they want reform to the Champions League. They're pushing for it. And I think Matthew Saeed, um, who does that the podcast with Freddie Flintoff and um, Robbie Savage, brilliant podcast, yeah. he said that actually there's this real fear that these clubs are sort of getting smaller gains, marginal gains, by saying there's a breakaway. We're going to break away. We're going to break away. Clubs panic because they think we don't want the big clubs to go and so they get their way because they can uh, lean on UEFA, lean on the domestic league a little bit more. So yeah, I think that doesn't put it to bed, no. The most recent article though, the German league, Football League president has said that the Premier League and the Bundesliga will block the plans developed by the European Club Association for a Super League. So there we go. But I did go even further because I wanted to find out who these teams would be if there was a European Super League. So the Spiegel, the German magazine, found alleged emails from Real Madrid consulting on a work of a 16-team Super League. Do you want to know what the teams would have been? Go on. Do you want to know? Okay, so there's uh, 11 clubs who would always be in there for at least five seasons. Yeah, they would have oh, been Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, <laughs> Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Juventus, AC Milan and PSG. And five teams, that would change every year, but the first five teams would have been Atletico Madrid, Borussia Dortmund, Inter Milan, Roma and Marseille. 
So the big winners out of that would have been Spurs because they would have been probably winning the league quite comfortably. So there, you are. there we go. There I you just are. yeah, that's that's yeah. I think it's a uh, it's something that you see. I don't think it would happen. I just don't think it will happen. But it's something that you... we'll see in a few years' time, eh? Yeah. Maybe we'll be talking about it. But I think um, the Champions League might change. Ultimately, I just think you know, it was a final point on that. I think the reason that we love these big teams competing, and this is what people are saying, or oh, we want to see them compete every week. No, I think we do. I think I want to see them compete twice a year. You know, over a two-leg tie in Champions League. I don't want to see Liverpool Barcelona really, really regularly. I want to see it every few years. I want to see Juventus PSG every now and then. I don't want it every single week of these big teams no, playing it, it, would, it, would, it would ruin it. And you know what would happen is a team in the European Super League would have more money than someone else. The team that wins it maybe for two years in a row would get all the best players and again, the vicious cycle would return and there'd be a team dominating that league as well. Yeah. So, Great yeah. question, Tim. Thank you for that. Um, we'll talk about that perhaps if it comes around again. Just a very quick one from Petra Saxby. She talked about um, why didn't you discuss the how the FA shut down women's football and how it fought back from that. Um, great question. And we will talk about it in a future podcast. I think we need to dedicate more time to it, don't we really? We've written, a, we've written quite extensively about women's football around that time, the 1920s and the ban, haven't we? Yeah. Um, on, the, on the blog. But I think we, we probably have to dedicate a whole podcast to women's yeah. football and maybe get some guests on as well. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. And a final one, just a point um, we've been, uh, a few people mentioned to us about give credit to uh, Connors Key Nomads for their win over Kilmarnock. Absolutely. Um, yeah. This is quite famous. Obviously, Connors Key Nomads, the, the Welsh football club um, who were in the qualifying for the Europa League. They built beat Scottish team Kilmarnock. There's some very funny videos around of um, some Scottish people are sort of really upset because they've already booked their flights for the next <laughs> round. Um, what what results? They they lost two one at home, um, and then went up to Kilmarnock with uh, their manager Andy Morrison saying lots of them had to be back in work the next day. Yeah, um, obviously driving back some of them so they wouldn't get back until sort of five six in the morning. Then go to work, uh, but they won two 0 kept a clean sheet away and, and dumped Kilmarnock out. So they've got a chance of Who qualifying. Who said dead? Yeah, absolutely. And and also TNS, all the best to TNS because they uh, have sort of double shot. They've got their Champions League qualifying. Uh, if they lose that, then they drop into the Europa League qualifying. Oh, so like hopefully, okay. yeah, so it'd be lovely to see one of them sides for the Welsh uh, Premier League make it into a, a group, stage, a group stage of a European competition. Great for the Welsh game. The Cheering the domestic game all the way. Okay, before we round off uh, with our final Premier League predictions for the season ahead, let's just have a go at Guest of the Year. You like the quiz, Guest of the Year. It's gone down well. You've done very well at it. Last time you got it in two questions. I smashed it last time. You did smash it last time. First time you didn't do so well. Let's see how you do this time. There's quite a few sport questions in this. I've put in more sports. So let's Beautiful. see your general sport knowledge. Right, okay, first shoot. one. And if you know it, have a guess of your time, but don't give it away for the listeners. Okay. Okay, the first ever Ryder Cup takes oh. place in June of this year. God. The USA beat Great Britain, nine and a half to two and a half. Walter Hagen is the, the American captain. Ted Ray is the GB captain. Who do you think? That's a bit of a stuffing, isn't it? That is a bit of a stuffing. Uh, what I'll year? go for 1912. 1912, okay. Why else happened in 1912? The Titanic sank. Good one. Um, I will never use that if I'm doing 1912. I'm going on a cruise next week. That's a bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> Number two. Saudi Arabia earns its independence from Great Britain. Oh. That's a bit... Ooh. Ooh. 90 I think I think it's quite old right I'll go for 1910 okay number three this may give you a bit more of a clue commercial transatlantic telephone service is opened inaugurated inaugurated between New York and London 
to transatlantic tel- telephone lines. Nineteen between New York and oh wait, nineteen oh eight. Back in twos. Okay, that's fine. I'm glad it's it's a thinker. Flipping egg. This is hard. Okay, go on. Number four. Another sport one. Give me some light. The now. Harlem Globetrotters play oh, their God. first game in Illinois. 1914. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Start narrowing it down for you. Question five. Henry Ford and the Ford Motor Company produced their last and also the 15th million. So they stop on 15 million. Uh, Model T Fords. That famous car, the Tim Lizzie. I'm well off. 1930. I reckon I know what your last one's going This to be, may so. bring it in. 15th of January. The first live sport is broadcast on BBC, BBC Radio. Um, it's a rugby union international between England and Wales. And then a week later, a football match is broadcast. Oh, 1926. This may, this is a because fact that people BBC may know. is around that time when it was set up. And radio, I'm pretty sure the FA Cup final would have been on the radio. Okay. May 20th at 7.14am, Charles Lindbergh takes off from New York to cross the Atlantic non-stop, the first non-stop flight from um, New York to Paris. I'll stick with 26. And very finally, Cardiff City become the first non-English side to win the FA Cup. 1927. 1927, they beat Arsenal 1-0 at Wembley. 1927, didn't do as well this time. I'm glad they confused you a bit. It was, too easy it was his first four, really. Yeah. I mean, I was, I knew, yeah, the Ryder Cup. I thought we'd be older than that. Yeah, I was surprised. Older, I was surprised. Okay, that's pretty old game. It is. It's older than football. Isn't However, it? I guess organising a thing between America and Great Britain perhaps slightly more difficult. Yeah, maybe. Good stuff. Okay, the final thing we wanted to do, just because this is the last podcast before the Premier League season starts, we're both on holiday, and um, these next couple of weeks, we're going to do some predictions. And then um, we're going to put them away in an envelope and we're going to open them at the end of the season and see how close we were, how spot on we were with these. So what I want you to do is predict the top six, the bottom three, the golden boot, the player of the year, and also who's going to win the Champions League. Okay. Okay, so uh, go with your top six. Should we, should we go, I'll say my first. One, one, one. yeah, okay, okay, fine. Uh, Man City. Man City. Okay. I think I've got a little note on each of them. I think Pep, is uh, he, he loves to dominate domestically and I think okay. he's going to do something again yeah two Liverpool Liverpool close but no title again yeah I think yeah that can't can agree yeah. more three this is interesting I was really really torn on three okay I've gone with Chelsea I've gone, I've gone with Chelsea have you as well I, I wasn't sure but I think yeah Lampard obviously with the transfer ban I think he's going to try and get the best out of the youth and maybe we'll see some breakthrough I players I think it's more yeah for me it's more because of the other teams behind them that too as well Fourth, Spurs. Spurs. Is that what you got as well? Yeah, yeah. Kane enjoying VAR is what I've got as in brackets. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, Tottenham. Yeah. I, for me. Yeah. They're, they're fourth best out of. I think. Sick. The signing of Ndombele is going to be a good. Yeah, I can't wait to see him. Good sign. Next to him. fifth. Manchester United. I got Arsenal. Oh, okay. There's we disagree. I think um, the good signings will eventually gel by the end of the season. A few good signings. Hopefully, Daniel James for Welsh football. Um, there's a few potential there. Wan Bissaka had a very good season last year. I think they've strengthened more than Arsenal. Uh, they have strengthened. I don't think Wan Bissaka at right back is going to make much difference, personally. Um, and I think Danny Sabios is going to be a good loan acquisition. So you think Arsenal fifth? I've said Arsenal sixth, and I assume who you've got sixth. I think you and I Emery is good at Man United. Man United. Because are they going to Solskjaer? 
Not not wolves. Not tempted by wolves. I was tempted by wolves. Yeah. I, they linked to some brilliant players. Patrick Coutrone from yeah. AC Milan. That'd be incredible. Buddy. Yeah. So so may, they may well break. I think with Ole at the wheel, it's uh, United. No, not I, for me. Unless he goes. Yeah, I think ask Cardiff fans, and they'll say similar about yeah. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Okay, your bottom three. Okay, eighteenth, uh, eighteenth, uh, Burnley. I've gone Crystal Palace. If I've gone, if if Zaha goes, so if Zaha goes, I think Crystal Palace are going to really going to struggle. Yeah, and if Zaha joins Arsenal, and that I think confirms me, then is my favourite. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I didn't consider that as for Arsenal, but yeah, um, if if Palace lose him, obviously they've lost Famasak as well, and he's not goal scorer, but a very good player. I think Palace may well struggle. They've not really signed many players. I think Burnley have had their time. Okay, nineteenth. Sheffield United I've gone Newcastle interesting now I was uh, paid fire time last night and I told some of my mates uh, Reese, who's tweeted us a lot of times he wrote for us and my mate John I said Sheffield United and they said oh you haven't got Newcastle in there because yeah. they're obviously going to go down with see Bruce but I think they made a signing today haven't they a, a big signing yeah. like, uh, from Hoffenheim I think uh, I've put in brackets Bruce sacked Pardew takes him down <laughs> <laughs> Bruce sat by Christmas. Alan Parsh takes it down. Nineteenth. Um, right, yeah. I hope. I you know. I hope not for them. It's been a torrid time for a Newcastle fan. But <laughs> replacing Rafa with Bruce, selling all your best players. I don't want to see Alan Pardew dancing anymore. No. Yes. Yeah, and bottom life. of the Premier League. Brighton. All oh, interest. I've gone Sheffield United. And 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 I hope not again because I really like Sheffield United. I think they're another Cardiff for me. But I just think at the moment it looks too tough for them to survive. People say that at Cardiff and, and Brighton have had their time. Yeah. They they, they they ran it close last season. They almost lost it to Cardiff, didn't they? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's all right, Brighton. Your golden boot. Lovely place, though. Uh, golden boot, Harry Kane. Harry Kane for me, too. VAR. VAR. Although I did, I was tempted by Salah again. He won it two years in a row. and I think he's going to be hurt because up, yeah. he's going to get caught out a little bit more, though, potentially. Okay. For the old tumbling. Uh, okay. In the box. That's the whole episode we could debate that. Okay. Yeah. Player of the season. I was, I was torn I think um, I've gone just because he had such a good season last year Bernardo Silva um, I've gone Sterling mm. runs him close but I think Bernardo Silva had a brilliant he wasn't a young player did he um, or he was certainly close to it Sterling was not a young player he was very close um, Bernardo was brilliant last year and I think he's going to fill that David Silva role now I think Silva Bernardo could have a very good season uh, it's a bit of a punt but Silver's, I think it's brilliant he's got one more season didn't he yeah but yeah. He, he's going to start fading now isn't he um, or Ooh, Sterling running close season yeah. Okay, I'll go on for a bit of Firmino. That's even more random than Bernardo's, though. Right? I think. I think. Well, last season, Mane, I think, was Liverpool's asset for Van Dijk. Season before, we had Salah. I think this year, after watching him at the Copa America, I think Firmino, if he stays fit all season, will be the best player in the league. Very good punch. He's very underrated as well. I heard Paul Ince say this. Would you take Gareth Bale on loan if he was available? Uh, yeah, but then he would just be a squad player. Yeah. And would he want to join? Probably not. Probably not. Okay, and very finally, who do you think is going to win the Champions League this year? Well, I have three teams. So I, I'm now down to three teams, but okay. I have got my one. Okay, what's so your three? Uh, Liverpool, Juventus and Barcelona. Juventus for their squad, mm-hmm. but then I feel like they bottle it every year. Barcelona for their for Griezmann, I think he's an incredible signing. I rate him very highly as a player, but I feel like the demons of the last two seasons could come back to haunt them. So I'm going to say Liverpool again. <laughs> retain three finals in a row and retain the so. I think over two legs and the Anfield factor is huge and Klopp's lost that final losing hoodoo as well. exactly um, 
I've gone. I have gone for one of them. I've gone Juventus. Um, and I just put it comes together. I think Rambo and Buffon. I'd love to see them both get one. Buffon because he's resigned. Um, I think Ronaldo may lead them to another. I, I don't know if I would necessarily want that, but I think I'd love to see Ramsey win a Champions League. That'd be brilliant. I think people will say Juventus because they got a good squad, but I think they got a gel. All these new players. Yeah, of course. And, and they don't gel. And you know, just referring back to the Super League, I think that's why Juventus are in favourite because actually. They're going to walk there. Exactly. There's, no, there's no competition in their league, yeah. is there? So, and I think I'd say with PSG, isn't it? PSG basically won the league by March, and and therefore they, they just they weren't up to it when it comes to competitive same football. Same Barcelona so. last season as well. Yeah, they've been redone it. I think you're Liverpool. Yeah. Okay. Good. Very good. I've enjoyed that. Um, I've enjoyed this pod. As we said, it's a little bit longer today, but that's because we are off. You're off to on a cruise. Yep. I'm off to Greece. Um, for next week as well. So we will be back afterwards to debate some new topics. As ever, get involved uh, at TFHBS on Twitter. Or on our email, thefootballhistoryboys at hotmail.com. On Facebook, give us a search, the Football History Boys. And as ever, just let us know what your thoughts are. Give us your Premier League predictions um, and we'll pull them out at the end of the season too. Yeah, and we'll see if you're right. And if you're right, we'll give you a prize. Not of monetary value. <laughs> we'll give you some stamps legal tender <laughs> there you go brilliant uh, thank you very much for listening and have a nice start to your summer we'll see you next time goodbye <laughs>